The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Welcome to the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, where we explore nighttime dreams, daytime desires, and the best ways to transform the tragic into magic. Because let's face it, we all dream, we all have our blessings, and we all have our challenges, myself included. And I don't want any of us to take any of those things lying down, if you know what I mean. I just wrote a book entitled, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste. I'm excited to explore the topic with you, whether it relates to your waking or sleeping dreams, because we're dreaming all the time, people. So let's make it the best dream possible. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Janet Pitalato, thank you for joining me on my show today. Let me, I'm doing everything out of order because it's dreams and we can. So let me introduce this amazing woman. I'm so excited. So Janet Pitalato is the author of The Dream Gate, transpersonal. She's a transpersonal psychologist, complementary healthcare consultant, and ordained minister. She holds a doctorate in biology from New York University and a second doctorate in transpersonal psychology from Saybrook University, where Janet studied with Dr. Stanley Krippner, who I know and love. He's a world-renowned dream psychologist. And Dr. Eugene Taylor, Harvard scholar, and William James. Um, So she is an amazing writer. There's so many things I could say about her, but basically her new book, The Dream Gate, just got nominated for a cover award, which sounds like it's like the for the cover of the book. The cover of the book is amazing, but it's the Coalition of Visionary Artists. It's a big, big honor. And um, Janet, it's a huge honor to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for the invitation, Kelly. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Last time we spoke, or last time I saw you, it was during the Shift Network Dream Summit. So, yes. and we, you so dazzled me there that I, I am so happy to have you back and thank you for joining me. Okay, so first of all, you have to tell us, for those who are watching, not everybody's going to be watching, some people are listening. So tell us about this beautiful background of yours. I am sitting with a virtual background of the Gaia Anderson Museum in Old Cairo. And the building behind me is one of two buildings that were preserved 
by Gaia Anderson, an Englishman who went to Egypt, loved Egypt, and then managed to live in these two homes that were built in the, the 11th and 17th century, willing his Egyptology collection to the antiquities department in Egypt. But even more interesting, behind me, inside, and on the other side, and I love that word, other side, the other side. there's the oldest mosque in Old Cairo. So it's a very sacred place. And there's a little mythology about a genie in a well underneath these two beautiful places. Um, those of you who've ever watched the, the movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, it's a James Bond movie from a couple of decades ago, I guess. It begins here. So you'd begin to see the inside and anyone lucky enough to go to Egypt, you can visit and you can move through those rooms and just see the amazing history that's there. So it's one of my favorite places, Kelly, which is why I sit here all the time. I'll be back to Egypt next year in February um, mm -hmm. and hopefully visit, visit the Gaia Anderson again. COVID stopped a lot of it, but uh, I will go back for sure. Yes, you will. So speaking of amazing history, you start your book, The Dream Gate, with your own personal history with dreams. And I want to talk a little bit about, even though you say this is not a shamanic book, I feel like it's very shamanic. And I want to talk about your connection to the shamanic aspect of dreaming. But tell us a little bit about how you got into dreaming. Well, I was born into a house of dreams. That's the only way I can explain it. My mother was a dreamer. It was often that we would talk about what dreams we had during the night. And you're quite right. Shamanically, I sat as a small child in a closet and used to tell my mother that I was going places so that she knew where I was. Um, I had a few board games that I pulled out, watched the little um, hot water pipe that was in the back of that closet so that I didn't get burnt. But I would travel and I would see things. And when I got too big for that closet, I would slide under the bed. Somehow I just knew that I had to move someplace different than my waking reality to open up that gate. And literally my oldest memory is a dream. And I believe it was a really a, a dream that I was awake. So it's what I do in my work. I bring people into that lucid dreaming state, but I can remember it as though it was yesterday. It's my oldest memory. And it was, it was light, it was daytime. And I saw things. Um, I saw a ladder against a window. I saw an Indian knocking to come in. Now, I was a little girl who loved fairy tales and princesses. Indians were not on my, my list for sure. And so that made it extremely strange. I screamed for my father to come up. And of course, no one was there, but I was so traumatized that my father covered that wall with a mirror and closets. Now, a mirror, of course, amazing to put a mirror. And in the front of the mirror was a little place for me to put my dolls or whatever. And I ended up putting a little altar, a small child making an altar. And of course, the next image that came was the lady that was at the bottom of my bed. She didn't frighten me, she didn't speak to me, but she's still with me, shamanically. Um, still is a guardian. So I walked between the worlds even as a child and my book, Pieta's Tales, is truly, it was marketed as a, you know, something like the Le Petit Prince, The Little Prince by Saint-Exupéry. 
it's a childhood story of imagination, but it really is my story. Um, for those who know me, my own niece picked up the phone when the book came out and she said, oh my goodness, daddy told me these stories about you. You wrote about yourself. Well, yes, I gave Pieta a, a little bit of history, but it's all about imagination. It's all about the shamanic journeying and it's about dreams because the shaman goes to the dream world and so does the dreamer. And individuals think that they have to dream at night when they put the head on the pillow. And I've expanded that term and said, no, the dreaming is when we see something that's not part of our waking environment, but we're seeing something inside on a mental landscape. It's like the ancient Egyptians always spoke about dream with an open eye and little feet. They were going somewhere. And so do we go somewhere. And of course, that's my journey to help people realize that they can have dreams during the day when they're awake, they walk between the worlds. And that's how I began. I mean, with a mother who certainly encouraged me, but a little girl who, well, most children were outside in the street playing. I was in a closet going places. <laughs> I was always strange, Kelly. Oh God, in the best way possible. Um, I love, I love that. And um, you you talk about how your mother was psychic. So oh, that meant yeah. you and your brothers couldn't get away with much, <laughs> nor couldn't did you try. <laughs> no, and we knew that she she always knew. She just always knew. She saw things all the time, deeply connected and deeply devotional. I mean, I, I was born, I often tease that my father should have been a monk and my mom could have gone into a convent because they were extremely spiritual. It was the perfect environment for me to grow up. Um, it truly was. It brought me into all of the churches. Um, that was the only vacations we had was on pilgrimages. So I remember all of these places with all of the monks. And when I got my first doctorate, I wanted to go to Germany because my favorite Franciscan monk had spent years in Germany when we didn't even have money to make a phone call. So I visited the monastery where I knew that Father Goki had once walked. He had already deceased, he was, he was gone. But I remember walking and looking in the sky and saying, you know, for quirk of time, you're still here and I'm here. And we're just, we're, we're meeting on another plane. We're not seeing each other, but I'm visiting you here, Father. I finally came. So it, it was mm -hmm. always in me. And I mean, it, it, for people who have not experienced it, they can. And I think that's my message. They can. You know, the ancient mystery traditions brought people to that state. And it is a dream state that they saw things. And they were vowed to silence, not because they were something so special they couldn't speak of, but because others wouldn't understand. So why try? If you brought them in and let them experience it, then they know. But how can you explain some of these experiences? So it is the dream world of the shaman. It's the dream world of the dreamer who dreams at night or during the day. I mean, every 90 minutes we go into an alpha theta state and we ignore it. So yeah, dreams, dreams are part of my bones, I think. Oh, and what beautiful bones. You just made me think about the whole notion of being kind of sworn to secrecy about the dreams. 
and um, one perspective I have on the final stage of the hero's journey, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about this, the coming home with the elixir, meaning like going into a deep experience and then coming back to the ordinary world with this magic and how often the, the difficulty is, oh, people won't understand. So maybe mm -hmm. I keep it to myself or maybe I hide it. And my perspective is what if, what if we just become it? What if mm -hmm. we don't have to go underground, but we can be a little bit stealth, but we become it. So we emit the glow of those dreams. So we don't have to necessarily figure out what words to say, or we don't, cause some of us get sick when we have to hold things in. But I think instead of that, let's just find a more creative way to express it as the beingness of ourselves. What do you think? And, you know, and it's right. And it's perfect that you mention it like that. I'm often asked to write the nonfiction books. And of mm -hmm. course, that's what I have out with the mystical dream tarot and the dream gate or whatever. Yeah. But I like writing fiction because just like the ancient myths and legends, my fiction is really my truth on dream. And it's a very easy way for people to understand but it's just such a beautiful way to get the message out without yeah. going and standing on a soapbox and saying, well, this is what, what you should do. This will help you. And of course, in my private therapy, I have people that come to me that tell me I've won right now. Should I, I don't dream. I don't remember my dreams. And I said to her, well, we'll begin by the waking dream. And by the time that we finish our therapy, you will have dreams because you do have them now. You're just not remembering them. So yeah. it is all about memory. Uh, mm. You know, I, my first doctorate was because I was looking for memory. I thought I was going to write novels, sing opera, and do my painting. And one day in one class, one little side note by the science teacher saying, someday someone may find the root of memory. I got up at that class and I walked past that teacher and said, I know what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I'm going to I'm going to major in biology and I'm going to find memory. And of course, the joke was on me. It wasn't something that I wasn't looking for the mm. the actual physiological site, the anatomical site of where memory is stored. It's the second doctorate that said to me, we've been dismembered like Osiris and mm. it's time for us to remember our whole purpose of being here is to remember. So, yeah, I mean, you look at it and it is through, it's through all of these myths and legends. We peel mm. the layers off find the truth. We're all archaeologists of consciousness. That's really what we're doing. It's such an interesting way to think about memory is that mm -hmm. the issue is the dismemberment and yeah, how we we've all been dismembered but and this is why it feels so good when we do remember something it's like we're calling back a part of ourselves that's so I mean, you're not kelly and i'm not janet your mother right. gave you the name my mother gave me my name right and what is our name who were we before we came into the sarcophagus of the body Ooh. because that's where we're going that's where we're going we're going to be freed again ah oh. Yeah, so true. Okay, I just love the story about before you were born, the way your mother prepared uh, your brothers. Can you tell the story of the little doll and and the yes. and the just the dreams? What brought you in and 
imagine. Okay. Well, I, the I story that old. was told every time you'd have a right. birthday, every time that I had a birthday, I had three older brothers who I have to say, I could not have asked for any better. They were absolutely wonderful with me, but mm. my mother was a dress designer and a, basically she was mag magnificent artwork. And she wanted that little girl for sure. And, um, when the when she was pregnant, having the boys, the tailor came in dreams and the tailor sewed pants. And she would tell my father that it was another boy, it was another boy, it was another boy. And then she became pregnant with me. And the tailor did not show up in the first three months. So my mother knew that this child would be a girl. She put together a doll, a rag doll, and gave it to the boys and gave it the name Janet. Everyone called her Janet. My mother's name was Jeanette. And interestingly oh. enough, when I was born, everyone called me Jeanette. So <laughs> she gave me, but she gave the doll that name. And she told the boys that they had to learn to take care of their sister because their sister was part of the family. And so I'm told and was told at every birthday that the little boys took this doll everywhere. They traveled with her. They brought her on their, their little trips to church and you name it. Now the day comes that I'm being brought home from the hospital. My mother asks for them to bring the doll to give the doll to the new baby that's born. No one can find that doll. The doll has disappeared. They don't know where the doll went. So I must have been three or four years old, no older. As my mother said, the boys didn't talk early. And she said, I was vaccinated with a troll of needle because I seemed to come out talking and never shut up. I always <laughs> had a story. I always had something. She said, and this birthday, and, and again, I was no more than three or four. She said, we telling the story. And she said, you stood up. I put my hands underneath my elbows because that meant superlative. And uh, <laughs> I said to everyone, I didn't understand why they didn't get it. I was that doll. I came to life. And from that on, every birthday, that story was told how I was the little girl who opened up their eyes, that I was the doll come to life. And I laughed, as I said, so perfect for someone who was going to spend their life with mythology. You know, here I was. And then fast forward, I sat at my mother's easel, probably at the same age. My brothers were in school. I was not. So I could not have been five years old. And my mother presented a picture to me of me as, a, as an infant. I was 10 pounds, Kelly. I was huge, lots of dark hair, light eyes. <laughs> and the doctor had said to my mother, good thing this is not your first baby because she looks like she's six months old already. I looked at that picture and I couldn't imagine that this was me. After all, I was already four. But then it dawned on me that that's what I was. This is what I was then. And someday I'd be like my mother and maybe like her sister who was 19 years her elder. So more like a grandmother. And that very day I decided I wasn't Janet. I was just visiting these wonderful people, my mother and brothers, but I came from someplace else. And I was just a visitor here. And I would find out someday who I really was. And to that point, I sang opera. And the operetta that came my way was the Bohemian Girl from, it was a Laurel and Hardy, wonderful operetta 
of a little girl who's kidnapped by Laurel and Hardy, who, who <laughs> it, you know, it's, it was it was very cute if you've not ever watched it. And she travels with them, they're gypsies, but she opens up the door and the most beautiful song is I dreamt I dwelt in marble halls. She knew she didn't belong where she was, but she wasn't quite sure where it was that she really came from. And that was my theme song. Can you sing any bit of that? I know I'm putting you on the spot. We didn't prepare for okay. anything. I, I used to sing. I don't sing anymore, but I I can begin by telling you, I dreamt I dwelt in marble halls where angels sung and music was played. And I have, if I knew this, I would have brought it closer. I have a music box that my husband and I discovered probably 20 years ago. And it had five rolls of music. And when we mm. walked in the store, that was what was played. So my wow. husband bought it for me, not telling me, and gave it to me for Valentine's Day, oh. letting it play open up to me. So it's been with me my whole life. But and I used mm. to play it on the piano too. Mm. And it's, I wouldn't even try. I unfortunately destroyed my voice after my, my husband passed away. So it, it's too many screaming bouts, but otherwise I would have sung for you. So yeah, sorry. he was the love of my life, Kelly, and he still oh. is the love, oh. of, the love of my life. It, he was perfectly healthy and in 40 minutes was gone with a brain bleed. Yeah. <sighs> love of my life. The, he was just such a gift to anybody who knew him. A real sweetheart. I think when even those of us who know have we spend time on the other side of the veil and we're all too connected to the world beyond it still hurts when somebody no, we love. Still hurts. You know, I I yeah. lost a daughter and a son, <laughs> and that's all I had was the two children. And someone made that comment to me that because I had so many visions and I saw so many things that I shouldn't grieve. And I said to them, you know, you really don't understand. We can mm. we can comprehend. I, I've had a, a, a near-death experience. I do understand. But yet yeah. there's still that hole, that yeah. vacant hole that says, this was, this was my life. This was my better half. And yeah. wouldn't I like him to be here? Wouldn't I like the children to be here? And they're not. So it's living with that. But of course, for me, I realize it is something that I chose for this life. And I right. think I chose it so that those who come to me realize I've not just studied it as a psychologist, I've lived it. You know, I've lived the passing and I'm still here. I'm still walking the planet and I'm still dreaming for whatever time I have. Well, I would say you're not just here, you're like really here. Throughout history, Dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. The 
the book that I just wrote that's out now is called A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste and um, the art of transforming the tragic into magic. And I wasn't prepared to ask you this, but since you brought this up, do you have, what is, I mean, I imagine doing the dream work that you do as part of your solution to get to, to heal or to go from, you know, I always like to say when, when something awful happens, we have a choice, we can become bitter or better. And what is, what is, what do you do in these difficult moments? What's your process? I, I do, I do seek answers. And I think it's, as I say to people, I'd love the title of your book, by the way, because I often say to people, a tragedy, a challenge, a sorrow is a gift. And you're not yeah. realizing that it's a gift because it opens you up. First of all, you stop in your tracks and you have to think and you have mm. to try to understand what your life is really about. And all of those little issues that once bothered you don't anymore. I often in my work say to people, pretend when you speak to someone that it's the very last time that you'll ever see them. Mm -hmm. Just think about what you would say, because all of those little arguments that bring you into therapy suddenly disappear. They're not right. important. And you're putting your attention in the wrong place. But it is, for me, the solution is the fact that each time there was a tragedy, it opened up, it opened up the heart more to Ooh. see more, to understand more. So it was, it was a gift as well as a sorrow. Yes. Um, oh, but I it's not that. an end. And to understand that it isn't, it isn't an end. And I mean, the dreams show that so very clearly the same way that I believe each, each and every one of us have chosen our path. And each oh. thing that happens to us is not an accident, but you're quite right. For those who are blind, they don't see and they become bitter. But I never became bitter with any one of the losses because I knew that it was meant for me to understand something else. Time Thank is an you. illusion. As I said, I stood within the cloisters of this wonderful, it's called the Residence in, um, in Würzburg in, in Germany. And I went there to see someone who had passed away by that time a good 10, 15 years. And right. yet I knew that it's okay. I was visiting him there um, because I'm stuck in time. But real reality is outside of time. So he was still there. I knew that. You know, and I looked up to the sky and said, you know what? You're still here. I know that. Yes. I have a question. I think maybe that's the best we can do as humans. We become as dream centric as possible so that we have this profound, almost tangible relationship with the other side. So it doesn't mean we're not going to grieve. I mean, I've, I've lost a record number of people in the last several years and each time it's a blow, but there's this, oh yeah, the, oh yeah, there's more and oh yeah, they still exist. I just have to develop new ways to relate to them. Um, one of the stories I love in your book, and then I want to get us to the process that you're going to lead us through the experiential process with the eye of Sophia. Um, you um, were talking about, oh, I want, I wanted you to talk about the, the monkey and um, 
the your shamanic journey. I wanted you to share a little bit about I'm kind of jumping all over the place. <laughs> okay, which which journey would you like? You oh sorry, I know one of the journeys that you share about in your book is where there was the woman in the very um kind of conservative outfit and you were going to be doing some journey work to identify uh, each other's okay. spirit animals. Yes. So okay. can you okay. share a little bit about how that went cuz I I would love for people oh, to yes. just No, and that's that's a, that's a perfect one. Um I was doing, as I mentioned to you, shamanic work from childhood. And Stanley knew this. And Stanley always teased me and said, why are you bothering to look anywhere else? You're already doing it. And right. yet, I mean, I, I'm very grateful for the time that I did phenomenological work with Michael Hanna. I wanted mm -hmm. to see if what he was teaching had anything to do with what I was experiencing. And Michael was wonderful with me, putting up with me, knowing that this was what I was doing. But the very first time that I, I entered into one of Michael's classes was in Manhattan. I knew no one out of the 50 people who were in that class. And I sat next to a very formidable woman. Michael asked that each one of us find someone to pair with in order to find power animals for each other. For me, I didn't have to get up and look. I didn't know this woman. I didn't know anyone else. And we kind of looked at each other and said, yes, um, now, me with my long hair and long dresses, and I mean, she with very a suit on and very professional looking, was fine. We were going to work together. So the lights go out and Michael begins the drumming. And we knew the process. For those of you unfamiliar with a shamanic journey, basically someone is going to provide rattling or drumming and individuals are going to close their eyes and imagine going somewhere to meet someone, to see something. And this the, the mind in 10 to 12 minutes is gonna provide something. If I had you in a, in a laboratory, this is what would happen. We would see that you have mental imagery. So I go, and of course, my rational mind is telling me the power animal for this woman is, you know, is gonna be a lion, is going to be an eagle. It's gonna be something very special. I mean, she's very formidable here. This is, you know, this is somebody who, this is what she's probably going to get. And what do I get? I get this monkey who jumps on my shoulders. Now, again, we're told, push away something, fine. But four times, if something appears to you more than four times, take it. You're meant to have it. So no matter what I did, I couldn't get rid of this monkey who was <laughs> the antithesis of what this woman was. And the monkey was comical. I mean, the monkey was taunting me and was a jokester. And I gave up. I said, that's it. I have to bring the monkey back. I'm embarrassed because it, it's not something I think she's going to like. So I sat up. Michael was still drumming, but I knew my journey was over. I accomplished what I needed. And I drew up. That's what I wanted to do initially. So I started to draw a picture of the monkey. And then I looked at the woman who apparently, well, she never got anything from me anyway, but her eyes were open. So she was just sitting there and tears were coming down her eyes. And I thought, oh my God, this is not good. She's probably not happy with what's going on. And Michael stops drumming. He lets everybody begin to talk. And I show her the picture and I said to her, well, you know, this is, this is who came. And she tells me that her mate had just died 
And this is why she came to the, the journey. Actually, she was a Jungian psychologist. And she said, I came because I was looking for her. Her nickname was Monkey. She said, and you know, she provided all of the comedy in our relationship. And I was the serious one. Well, she didn't have to tell me that. Um, but it goes to show you that the connection was so deep. Now she left after that journey. She got what she came for. She, she didn't stay. You know, the, the, work, the work was for the entire day. And uh, this was the beginning. But, it, but again, this is, this is what one gets when one trusts. You just allow what should come and you don't really push it away. I mean, someone else might have come back and said, well, I'm going to give her an eagle anyway, or I'm going to give her a lion because I think that's what's important. What's important is the truth. And we sometimes have no idea why it comes. I've brought messages to people that to me made no sense. And they absolutely were right on target because mm. we sit in consciousness. Consciousness is not inside us. We're inside consciousness. And right. we've got two halves. We're only half awake if all we pay attention to is what our physical senses connect us with. The other half is inside. So let's let's switch gears. And um, I'm putting this beautiful background up so ah. that people can see. It's not a, not a background, but um, I hope everybody can see it. So Janet, I'm going to hand over the talking stick to you. Tell us, right. guide and us for the next I, few minutes. What I'm going to do is, first of all, I'd, I'd like everyone to realize that what you're looking at is a sacred place, a magnificent place that began as a Christian cathedral and went through its period of being an Islamic mosque. And today is a sanctuary for everyone. You and I could visit Istanbul. It's the Hagia Sophia. And as its ceiling just radiates the light of the sky upon each and every one of us, we can journey to this place inside us because inside you and I is a sanctuary as the ancients went on pilgrimage for a few short minutes, we can go on a pilgrimage to a sacred place. I'd like you to look at the image. I'd like you to look at that magnificent sky through the ceiling, through the dome. Let the heavens appear to you and bring yourself a question of what you would like to know, something that's important now in the few days that are coming. And I'm going to begin to bring you on a journey inside that you walk between the worlds. Honor the floor beneath you, the ceiling above you, and the four walls around you. Together, you and I, outside the boundaries of time zones and landscapes, come together in a sanctuary, a place of spirit inside ourselves. Let us see ourselves seated in a circle in this sacred place. Let us make an offering of all things good and pure, especially the purity of our intention. 
let us ask for one particular question, petition, or healing that we need and would appreciate to be given some information on. And as we begin our journey, close our eyes now. Close our eyes and listen to the rattle. Allow yourself to move on a landscape of your history, bringing you to the sanctuary that you remember as a child, a place of great safety, and find yourself in the presence of someone who's passed away, but was of a great support to you as a child Bring your question with you and allow them to show you a picture of an event in the past that will open up some answers to the question that you give. Quietly, gently, see yourself, the small innocent child that you were. See the eyes that smile upon you and the lips that smile, the hand that touches you. And look at the picture that you're being shown. Think of the question. Think of the petition, the healing that you asked. And look at that picture. And for a few moments, in that sanctuary within, allow the magic Where was that picture taken? Was there a celebration, a gathering, a graduation, a wedding? What was celebrated in that picture? Or was it a picture of quiet, perhaps a picture of you, seated comfortably, a book in your lap, joyful and peaceful? See that picture. Note where you are and allow the memory to rise and come forward. Feel the hand of the one who is with you 
your protector, your companion from long ago. A gift is given to you. What is the gift? What comes to mind? Is it a gift you were given long ago? Perhaps something that you've forgotten? Or is it something new? Allow the image to rise. Outside of time and space, all gather, all whoever walked with us once in time, are free of the boundaries. They remain with us, companions and guardians both. All circles around us and we realize we are seated in the circle, in the great Aya Sophia, inside all itself, the terminal, the sanctuary. We open our eyes and see the image, the heavens coming through the windows, but we see our waking reality rooms. What is the first Thing that reaches our eyes. Is there a window, a door, a painting, a photograph? What catches our attention in waking? It all has meaning. It's all meant to help us answer our questions. We honor the floor beneath us, the ceiling above us, the four walls around us ever aware and thankful that we sit in a sea of consciousness. There are no boundaries. There is no true separation. There is only the illusion of self. Quietly, gently, and peacefully, remember all the images that have risen each one is a doorway. Open those doorways to where they lead. There will be peace and understanding. Abundant blessings. Janet Pitoletto, that was so beautiful. Wow amazing the magic that could occur in such a short and tiny period of time that was exquisite well thank, thank you. you and let each person know truly when i say that each image means something to you people often tell me well i think we i really didn't get anything and then they begin to tell me what they got and they didn't have meaning yet the language right. of the Conscious is the image. And please understand that each one of those images opens up a doorway for you to understand. So you look at the person, remember who they were, 
remember what their empowerments and their talents were. And then you might remember a place, an event. It's like walking the steps of stones from one bank to another. Each oh. image opens you up. Incredible. Thank you for, I got to reconnect with my grandpa Bishop. <laughs> it was magical. Oh, Thank fabulous. you. Oh my God. It's really funny. My sister, he used to take my sisters and I on the most magical walks around the neighborhood. And we didn't realize that fire hydrants was were what dogs peed on, but we thought fire hydrants were the most amazing thing. And we would race to them and whoever could get to it the first and like climb on it was the winner. And there was literally this little um, kind of a, a bank of bushes with an, an arch. And we used to make up the story that we couldn't just walk through the arch. We had to, we had to say a prayer. We had to like get centered because like what was on the other side was going to be amazing. So we had, we always stopped before this arch oh, and we would do our, our own little ritual. I mean, I was like five, my sister was three <laughs> and, and then we would like connect with it and then run across and then, and then get an ice cream or something. <laughs> yeah, no, but you see, it was it was in your soul. I mean, I, I think of a, yeah. an elderly woman who came to my husband's office to visit me. And uh, she said to me, do you know what I remember most about you? Well, actually, Kelly, I used to babysit for everybody, but I always cooked when I babysat because I uh -huh. love cooking. And I thought she was going to say to me, oh, you know, you went and you gave the children food or whatever. Instead, she said, you know, we had no religion. We didn't we didn't go to church. She said, but the children learned to pray because you went and they had to say their prayers before the meal. You set up an altar with their dolls on their bed. And it was like it was in us. It was in our souls like you with the prayer before you went through. You yeah. couldn't go through that prayer so right it is right. those of us who are lucky enough have had it it's instilled within us it's the very backbone it's, of our existence it's so true well i have thoroughly enjoyed this time it has whizzed by i want everybody to know how to find you janet pedalato that's p-i-e-d i l-a-t-o dot net so janet j-a-n-e-t p-i-e-d I L A T O dot net. And then you could also find her at dreamphd.com, which is great. And on Facebook, Janet.pedalotto. And mm -hmm. you've also got another website, sevenpillarshouse.org. Um, right. I'm a guiding voice for the, the soupies. So that's, that's the, you'll see me there. Uh, Alchemical Feast is my is my website as well, and that's Alchemical uh, Feast. Alchemical Feast. Um, and everyone should go vote. Go to the cover book cover awards, and in is it in, under metaphysical books? They'll find I your book so they can. Yeah, I think they make you go through everything. And you have to, to go through vote. everything, but vote yeah. for the Dream Gate because it is worthy. It is wonderful, and go out and get your own copy and see for yourself. Janet Pitalato, thank you so much for sharing your treasures and your stories and your very special access to dreaming with us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, Kelly. It's just been wonderful. Everybody.
Thank you for listening to the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show. If you enjoyed this episode, take a moment to like, subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. My show can be found on Apple iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to border my new book, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste, go to your favorite online or brick and mortar retailer, then head on over to kellysullivanwalden.com tragic to magic. Input your order number and redeem your bonus gifts. I'm also excited to be offering a DreamWork practitioner training. So if that calls to you, go to kellysullivanwalden.com forward slash DreamWork. If you'd like to join me for the live recording of these shows, most Wednesdays at noon Pacific, you can find me on Facebook at Kelly Sullivan Walden Dreams. If you have a question about your dreams or about how to transform your tragic into magic, email me at kelly at kellysullivanwalden.com. Until next time, remember, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And as you awaken to the power of your dreams, you make the world a lighter, brighter, more beautiful place, one dream at a time. Sweet dreams. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.